Welcome to Canvas Church. You are listening to our weekly celebration service message. Thank you for tuning in. If you want to be a good minister, start with your family. Because you can lead in a lot of places, put on a suit, and, and have a position, and have employees, and lead in a, to a certain degree. But, but nothing is like leading a family where there is complete transparency, where there is complete vulnerability, where they know you inside and out. And so if you can lead your family, that is the highest calling of leading. And sometimes we find it so hard that we just stick with business because that's a little easier. It's a little more fulfilling when all my employees look up to me. But man, when my wife knows that I'm a failure, when my kids see my mistakes, man, that's too hard for me. But I encourage you, dads, your calling is the highest one. Don't overlook it. Don't avoid it. Man, get help with it if you need it. But that is the highest calling, and, you, and it, is, it is worth uh, working hard for and, and pursuing God for. No matter what you do in business and ministry, none of that matters if your family falls apart. You guys have a high calling, and uh, you have everything you need to be successful at it. It is all within you. Amen? Amen. All right. Luke 15. We're going to talk about the prodigal son. Anybody heard that story before? All right, one or two of you. Now, listen, if you're new to, to Christianity, uh, you know, maybe you've never heard it. That's great. You'll love this. This is going to be amazing, okay? Now, maybe you've heard it before. If you've been in church for a while, you've probably heard it uh, like a thousand times, right? So it's okay. You know, here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to think, oh, it's the prodigal son. We always talk about this. And, and you think, oh, I've heard this story before. Because when you feel like you're familiar with it, it's like, oh, I've read the whole Bible. I don't need to read it again. But the Bible says that it is the living word. It is the living word. And so this parable, if you come in today with an open mind and say, God, what do you have for me through this parable today? Because yesterday was a different day. Today, I'm different. So today, I'm coming from a different perspective with different filters. I had different experiences yesterday that led me to here today. So God, what do you have for me today in this parable? And, and I may know a lot of the truths that this parable can convey, but it's not even what do I know about what it can offer, but how well am I living the truths that it offers? I had a, a good friend tell me about some things he was le- learning about leadership about this principle, how to set goals and, and how to be influential and, and how to create rituals in your life to, to set you up for success. And a lot of things he was, he was saying, I was like, oh, I, I've read about those things before. I didn't say that, but I thought it. Oh, I've heard that before. Oh, yeah, I've heard of smart goals. And, and all these things I'm thinking that I've heard of, my question was not, do, have I heard of that or do I know that? The question was, oh, am I doing that? Oh, gosh, I'm not doing those. I, I've heard them. So what is it today that we can take from this parable, no matter how many times you've heard it or whether you've never heard it, God has something for you today. And so uh, let's ask God that he would reveal himself through this parable today. Amen. So Luke 15, we're going to start in verse 11. And it says in verse 11, he also said, he meaning Jesus, you may find this in red. uh, He also said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, father, Give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. Give me what's mine, daddy. So he, father, distributed the assets to them, to his sons, not many days later. Didn't take long. The younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered. Everyone say squandered. Squandered his estate in foolish living. After he had spent everything, 
a severe famine struck that country. Call that a bad economy. And he had nothing. So he then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country, get himself a J-O-B. Uh, and he sent him to work in his fields to feed the pigs. Let me stop there for a moment because this is a big deal in this culture. Uh, God's people, pigs were dirty, nasty, even diseased. God said, stay away from pigs, uh, that you don't eat pork. And so for him to go into a different country, a different culture, and then find himself feeding these pigs, this is like the lowest of the low. Bad economy. I'm like, okay, what can I, I'll take any job I can get. I'm starving. And so he, uh, so he went to work for the citizens, feed the pigs. He longed to eat fill. Uh, he longed to eat fill from the carapods the pigs were eating, but no one would give him any. So he's envious of the swine right now. Do you catch that? He's in the mud, in the pig pen, thinking, man, what they're eating looks pretty good. <laughs> That's a rough spot to be. That's a rough spot to be when you're envious of the pig pen, right? But verse 17, check this out. When he came to his senses, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have more than enough food, and here I am, dying of hunger. I'm going to get up, go to my father, and I'm going to say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. So make me like one of your hired hands. Have you ever kind of mustered up the strength to kind of give a speech? All right, I'm, I'm going to go. I'm going to call her. I'm going to call the girl. Here's what I'm going to say. You ever done that? Or, hey, all right, I'm going to go talk to my boss. I'm going to ask for the raise. Okay, wish me luck. You know what you're going to say. So he mustered up his speech, and so he goes. So he got up and went to his father. But while that son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. Someone say compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, here's the speech, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his slaves, it's like he ignored his son. Slaves, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him. Put, it, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fatted cash, uh, calf, slaughter it, and let's celebrate with a feast because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost, and now he's found. So they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. As he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he summoned one of the servants and asked, what, what do you think? What, what's going on? The brother's here. Your brother's here. And your father has slaughtered, slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Then he, the older brother, became angry and didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. But he replied to his father, look, I have been slaving many years for you, and I have never disobeyed, yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughter the fattened calf for him. Son, he said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead 
and is alive again. He was lost and now is found. Amen. Lord, you are so good to us. God, I pray that we would understand your heart. I pray that people walk out out of here, God, uh, more in love with you because they know how in love you are with them. God, I pray that we would learn what we need to, to, to draw near, have confidence and trust our good, good father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Man, there's so much good stuff here. And it's Father's Day today. I, I, we're going to focus on the Father because if you read the scripture, it's it, Jesus started this off by saying a man had two sons. We focus so much on the prodigal, which is not a bad thing. It's good, the, the, the son that, that was lost. But man, this is a story about a father. This is a story about a father, about your father and my father, our heavenly father. And so we're going to focus most of our attention today on him, and that's where I believe it's going to do the most good for us. But for a moment, I don't want to overlook the sons because there's a lot we can take away here. And so if we look at the younger brother, he took this inheritance. He, he said, Dad, give me what's mine. I, you know, it wasn't normal to give that, that inheritance early. That, that wasn't normal. But, but I believe... There's a quote that says, I think it was Thomas Jefferson who said that I prefer uh, dangerous liberty to peaceful tyranny. I would rather have freedom than, than live under obligation and control. I believe that's God's heart. I believe he wants to give us freedom and liberty, and he's not going to force us to serve him. He's not going to force himself on us. He gives us liberty. He's put you in this world with so much wealth at your fingertips, He really has. There's so much in this world to offer. And he says, yes, you can have this. Go for it. And it's up to you what you do with it, right? And so this son took it and said, hey, great. I'm going to go, and this is going to be fun. I'm going to take my my wealth. I got my coin purse. I'm off. I'm going to go travel the world. And, And he became addicted to this sense of feeding himself. He became addicted to it and, and, and squandered it, whether it's prostitution or gluttony or whatever. Whatever just felt good until he hit rock bottom. I'm so grateful the Bible says that God can use all things for good for those who love him. Man, how many of y'all ever hit rock bottom before? Just me? Okay, some of y'all are honest. Maybe you haven't hit yet. Maybe you need to. Man, I'm so grateful for the rock bottom moments in my life because number one here, what we can learn from the prodigal is that he got fed up. Number one, he got fed up. He was done. He was exhausted. It says there that he came to his senses. I got to be honest with you, before that, he was senseless. He wasn't using logic. He wasn't thinking clearly. We can get so hooked on feeding our senses that have you ever got to a point where you're like, how did I get here? I've been there before. Man, some of y'all may have been there too. We think, I never imagined myself right here in a pig pen Jealous of the swine. I, and maybe for you, what is that thing for you? Maybe, maybe that fed up is your marriage. I, I, I'm, I'm done. Like, how did we get here? How did I give, give to, you know, uh, commitment to you at the altar in love? And now, now I feel like I, I, I hate you. How did I get here? But my finances, man, I, I thought by the time I was this age, I was, now I got this much debt. How did I get here? Man, I imagine my kids to just just love their dad and obey every. How did I get here? 
what is the thing? My career, man, I, I thought I was going to be here, but how did, how did I get here? Man, there's, there comes a point where you come to your senses. This is not where I want to be. Something has to change. Haven't we all had those moments? So number two, he owned up. He got fed up. Number two is he owned up. This is where this son takes responsibility, where he takes responsibility. He, he repented, and, and repent is this, this Christianese word. Uh, we got some words around here. New to church, we'll try to explain them along the way. Repent's really simple. It just means to change direction. That's it. You change direction, and you've repented. Some people think that, oh, I've got to build a track record, and I've got to be really good for five years, and then I'll, well, I'll repent. No. The moment you say, I'm done, I'm facing a new direction. You take one step, guess what? You've repented. That's what God asks of us. He's not asking us for us to be perfect, but be willing to change. So this is a son who said, you know what? Man, I, I'm taking ownership. He says, he said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. It wasn't just you, Dad. It was against heaven and against you. He took responsibility for his actions. There was a point in my life, and I, I remember the moment uh, the, the, the date, I remember the, the, the year that took place. I was 30 years old, and I said, you know what? I'm done. I'm taking responsibility for my life. I'm no longer a victim. I'm no longer going to let, let, let my, my flesh dictate my decisions. I, I'm, I'm going to start taking control of my own life with God's power because he's empowered me. And when you begin to take uh, control of your life, take personal responsibility, it liberates you. Because when you are at the whim of your flesh to say, what feels good? I'm going to go buy more stuff on Amazon, or I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to take a drink, or, or, or that, that cannabis, or, or that, that, that anger. I'm right, and you're wrong, and it feels good to be right, doesn't it? And we, 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 we always want to feed ourselves, but it, but it becomes intoxicating, and we lose, we lose our senses. We get trapped into it, and so we have to come to our senses and take responsibility and say, no, I'm not a victim. I'm not going to be controlled by my circumstances or by others' opinions, uh, by, by the government or by the economy. No, no, no. I'm not a victim. I am in control. I have a father. I'm going to go back to that father. And so he repented. He got up out of the mire, out of the mud, out of the muck, and said, I take responsibility. So what did he do? Number three, he offered up. Offered up himself. He offered up himself. He submitted he went from someone who said, it's about me serving myself to saying, make me a servant. Make me a servant. I don't want to run my life anymore. I'm screwed it all up. I want to serve you. Thank God that the father knew better and said, I appreciate that. But you're not just a servant. You're a son. But he came humbly saying, make me a servant. I would rather be a servant in your house than be Lord over my own life. Man, that's the part, that's the, that's the point we need to get to. At some point, you will hit that low where it's, I don't want to be Lord of my life anymore. But I want to give, uh, I want to I become a servant. Romans 1 through 2, uh, Romans 1, 1 through 2 says to offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. Offer yourselves to your heavenly father. And so we see this son who, who, who was addicted to to, to serving himself and, and, and satiating all of his desires. But, but at the end of the story, I just want to take one moment and, 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 and draw your attention to the older brother because that's, that's worth addressing. W why is Jesus telling the story for a second? 
if you go back to, to the story at the top of uh, chapter 15, it says that the tax collectors that were bad dudes in that society, they saw them as like traitors to the culture. The tax collectors, the sinners were approaching to listen to Jesus and the Pharisees and scribes were complaining. The Pharisees and scribes were the religious leaders at the time, the educated, the, 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 the do-gooders. They, they were the good people, the leaders of that time. He said that they were complaining, this man Jesus welcomes sinners and eats with them, complaining about Jesus. And so why does Jesus tell the story and he's contrasting this prodigal son? But let's not neglect that older brother for a moment because he, think about who he's addressing here, all these sinners and these religious folks that are condemning him for addressing them. And so this older brother that we see is that there's, there's really two sides to the ego coin, right? We can live for ourselves and give in to satiating our own desires, or that's the, the younger son, right? He's like, I'm going to live for myself, and it was about serving self. The older brother, he was on the other side of that, that ego coin, which said that I can earn God's favor, the Father's favor, my position. I'm good enough that I can obey the rules. It said that I'm a slave to you, Father. He said, I've been slaving for you for years. And he had this sense that, that I've earned this place. I've earned it. It's about me and what I've done. It's a different form of ego, but we can fall into to either camp. It's another form of ego. One son says that all I'm worth to the father is just an inheritance. I'm just worth some, some monetary value. The other, the other son said, all I'm worth to the father is my performance. It's what I can do for him and how good I can be in my performance and how I live. Neither one understood their true identity as a son. Neither one understood God's heart toward them. We can be tempted to fall into either camp and say, hey, it's about living for me or it's about earning my place and I can do it through my own hard work. Neither one is the way God wants you. So we need to spend a moment and look at his character so that we can understand who we are, how we should live, and how we fathers can lead our families as well. So let's dive into the father. That's where we want to spend our time today. The father, if we look at the story, the first thing we see is that the father sees you. The father sees you. Now listen, you may be new to Christianity, so maybe you're thinking like, that sounds kind of creepy. <laughs> it depends on how you want to look at it, right? Some of y'all, as I said, that he sees you, the first thing that came in your mind is like Lord of the Rings. You know what I'm talking about? Like the eye of Sauron, you know? It's like, I see you. It's like, ah! Right? That's what, that's what some of us are thinking. Like, what do you mean he sees me? That's creepy. You know? Or, or like my wife. You know, one, one of her pet peeves. She doesn't have many. But, man, she's got this really funny one. For the, from the first time we met, I, I realized it because it was very sensitive. She hates it if you look over her shoulder. Can't stand it. And so, like, even if I'm not trying to. You know, we're, like, sitting on the couch, hanging out, like, watching a movie or something. And she'll pick up her phone to do something. And if I just glance over, she's like, stop looking. I'm like, oh, sorry. And she like, she, she really can't stand when I look over her shoulder. Or if I'm like behind her, she's, what? What are you doing? I'm like, nothing. But she can't stand if I'm looking over her shoulder. And sometimes we see God in one of these perspectives, right? 
that, that, oh, it's like, oh, God sees me. He's the creepy God. Or that, that he's like nitpicking, looking for our mistakes and, in, you know, invading our privacy. That's not who God is. He does see you, but it's about your motivation, right? It's about why God sees you. So you think, oftentimes, we think that, that we are too far from God. We think that we're too far from God. My life is so bad. I'm so distant from God. He doesn't even see me. <laughs> but this is your heavenly father, that you can't be too far from God. No matter where you've walked, no matter how far you think you've gone, he's right there behind you the whole way. He doesn't leave you. He's right there with you. No matter how far you are, the moment you turn around, he's right there ready to receive you. The moment you turn, the, mo the moment you repent, you are not too far from God. The other thing we think oftentimes is that we're not worthy. We look at our lives and say, it's not them too. He just doesn't care about me. I, I, I'm, I'm just, it's just me. It's just little old me. <laughs> he doesn't care. Now, he's probably way more concerned with Pastor Ben. He's so much more important than me. So he's just busy with Pastor Ben. But, but with me, he doesn't, I'm, I'm, just, I'm nothing. My problems, no, nah, he doesn't care. And, and we don't see value in ourselves. And so we're tempted to think that God doesn't value us either. But listen to this. Job 7. Verse 17, this is at a low point in Job's life where he says, I loathe my life. He's like suicidal. Like, I don't like me. I don't like my life. Like, I'm ready to be done. Take my life from me. He says here, God, what is man that you think so highly of him and pay so much attention to him? I don't get it. I don't like my life. Why do you like my life? I don't, we don't comprehend it. It's by faith that we just have to trust that, okay, maybe he actually does love me, because he does. Psalm 144, the psalmist writes here in verse 3, Lord, what is man that you care for him, the son of man that you think of him? Man is like a breath. His days are, even maybe like bad breath, I don't know, but his days are like a passing shadow. It's like here today, I mean, my life's nothing, God. Why do you care? But he does. But he does. That is, that is our, 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 our confusion with God is I don't get why you care about me. I'm so bad. I'm so minuscule. I don't think you really notice me. But a good father does see his children. Acts uh, 17, 27. Paul preaches to Athens. He says, yet he, God, is actually not far from each one of us. He's not as far as you think. He is right there with you. Think about a father, like a good father, you know, some bad ones. You know, maybe you had a father that let you just kind of run off and, you know, be home in a few days, right? Just run off in the woods. I don't know. <laughs> but, but there are good fathers who, who, you know, they've got kids and like keeping track. Okay. Uh, oh, we're, okay. One, two. Okay. Got my kids, you know, and they're, they're keeping track of them, right? And maybe you all lost it. Oh, don't raise your hand. I've lost a kid once or twice. It happens. Hey, we got outnumbered. Okay. Once to go three, you know, it, you know, I got to go to zone defense. Okay. We're not perfect yet. So. Don't judge me, but, but a good father is going to keep an eye on his kids, right, and try to, try to protect them. Some of y'all get, like, crazy and, you know, have, like, your kid in a bubble, but, but a good father will at least keep an eye on his kids. How many of y'all know your, your kid when they get the potty dance? Anyone know what I'm talking about? Parents, you know what I'm talking about, the potty dance. It's like, you know, you see this little movement, you're like, oh, you got to go potty, don't you? And you know, everyone else is like, what? <laughs> I know my kid, you know? Or they're cry, right, when it's like, you know, the kid falls down, and the mom or dad's like, oh, they're fine. Because you just know the cry. And parents know what I'm talking about? Yeah, they're fine. I know. I, you know their cry. 
right? Ah, oh, they'll be fine. They're good. And then you hear the one like, whoa, whoa, what was that? Like, I know that cry. That's a serious one. But man, your father sees you. Your father knows you so intimately. No matter where you are, you can't run away from God. This is God, your father. No matter what example you've been given, your father sees you. When you think that my God doesn't see my issue, he does see it. The pain you're going through, the, the challenges you're facing, he is right there with you. He sees you. Don't think for a moment that he doesn't notice you. That's the challenges, that's, that's the sin, the struggle, whatever it is. He sees you, amen? Amen. Number two, God has compassion on you. God has compassion on you. The, the, the verse here says that, that the father saw his son from a distance, right? He sees you. He saw him coming from a distance. He anticipated him. And when he saw him, he was filled with compassion, filled with compassion. I want to linger on this for a moment. And this may sound weird if you're new to church, but there is also a devil. There is what the Bible calls an adversary. There is someone that, that hates you. It said, the Bible says that there is the devil who is an, your adversary. He, he roams around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, listen, why do I say this? Okay, we're talking about God's compassion. Where are you going with this, Randa? So, but listen for a moment that, that lions, when they pray, who do they prey on? The weakest, right? The, 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 the lame, the hurting those who are outside of the herd, those who are isolated, they're not going for the biggest, strongest in the middle of the herd. Like, eh, too hard. I'm picking this one. The devil wants you isolated. The devil is a liar and doesn't want you to believe and know the fact that our God is a compassionate God. Yes, our God is a compassionate God. Because if we don't believe that, that prodigal son wouldn't turn around and start walking toward that father. If we don't know that our God is compassionate, we're ashamed. We're afraid to go to God. Ah, ah, I'm going to get in trouble. Ah, ah. He, we get so afraid of God because we bought into the lie. Maybe it was because we didn't have a good example of a compassionate father. Maybe that's what it is. But, but what is the truth? Matthew 9.36 says, when he saw the crowds, Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were weary and worn out like sheep without a shepherd. He recognized they lacked leadership. They needed someone to care for them. He understood their needs. Exodus 34, 6 says, Yahweh is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and rich in faithful love in truth. Now listen, does he never get angry? Of course not. He's slow to anger though, thank God. <laughs> listen, do I get angry at my son? Yeah. Does God get angry at me sometimes? Sure. But he's still my son. Listen, we just ran into this yesterday. My son, don't tell him I told you this, but he kind of screwed up. I mean, he really screwed up. He, he made a mistake. He got he complained to someone, and, and, and it actually kind of hurt my wife and I. You know, he just kind of got negative and complained about this or that, and it hurt our feelings a little bit. And, like, and, and it, even though we were hurt, the thing is God knows why you do what you do, okay? Because our actions, the words we speak, the things we do, 
the feelings we feel, a lot of what we do in our behavior is all stem from what you believe. It's all stem from what you believe. And so when someone is, is, is angry at you, yells at you, you know, uh, attacks you, hurts you, steals from you, whatever. When someone is, you're seeing someone's worst side, it's easy for us to look at the behavior and say, oh, I, you hurt me and you're a bad person. But if we can elevate our perspective, if we can look the way God looks, not at the outside, but at the inside, the question we want to ask ourselves is to let down your offense for a moment and ask, what do they believe that makes them think that that's okay? Because chances are there's something deeper rooted there. Most people are not trying to hurt you unless they feel justified in some reason. They're not stealing from you unless they believe something that, that says that this is so important that I have to do this or that I deserve this. There's a belief system that goes into the person that hurts you. And so with my son, we took a moment and we, we, we coached him. We said, hey, here's the behavior. This is why it was wrong. And I wasn't, I wasn't angry. I was a little more hurt that he did it. Why would you do that? What were you thinking that, 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 you, know, you, wouldn't, that you wouldn't see how this would hurt your mom and I? And, and it would began to realize is that his complaints stemmed from an insecurity. He saw his sister going to, from elementary to, to, to youth. And he felt like, I'm losing friends. And out of that birth, these, these <clears throat> out of that birth, these complaints, this outward behavior that I looked at and said, that's ugly. Why would you complain? It came from something inside, an insecurity, a fear, just a fear. And if we just look at the face of it, that was wrong. Don't do it again. We don't get to his heart. And I can begin to appease the hurt within him and to assure him, to pray for him. So this morning I'm praying, God, show my son who his friends are today. Show my, my son who his friends are. Address that internal thing. And after that coaching session, guess what? He walked away with a positive attitude. He walked away accepting his consequence. He walked away today excited to come to church and closer to his mom and I because we understood his heart better. You serve a God who is compassionate. And, and where we look at our behavior and say, God, I really screwed up and we have shame, God says, I know why you did it. Let's work on why you grabbed that bottle. Let's work on why you're numbing the pain. Let's go deeper than, than, than you're even going to look at why you're angry at your spouse. Go deeper and know that it's not about the behavior. It's about why. There's a heart issue there in us and in others. We need to elevate our, our viewpoint and understand God's compassion. A good father understands their child is in process. God knows you're in process. Listen, if I expect my son to be perfect, I'm going to be really disappointed for the next however many years. Can I be honest with you? God doesn't expect you to be perfect. He's not surprised that you're going to screw up tomorrow. He already knows you're going to do it. You're going to. He's not expecting you to be perfect but he expects that with each failure you make, you're going to learn from it. You're going to come to him and say, you know what? I screwed up again. What did I do wrong? How can I do it better, God? And just know that he's not going to condemn you. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are a son and a daughter. Know that your father is compassionate towards you. If you believe that, say amen. All right. Number three, your father <clears throat> pursues you. 
your father pursues you. The scripture says that, that the father saw his son, had compassion on him, and then ran out to meet him. He didn't wait. He didn't say, oh, knew it, told you so. Come on, come on in. I've been waiting for this, come on. No, he's like, yes, you're back. And he ran out to meet him. You have a God, a father in heaven that pursues you that pursues you, not like, a, like an earthly father that, that can run a little distance. I'm, I'm getting to be an old man now. I can't run as far as I used to. But you've got a father that will pursue you to the ends of the earth. You think you're here by accident because someone invited you because you felt obligated. No, God is drawing you in. God is pursuing you. He is revealing himself to you. When he convicts you of sin, it's not to condemn you. It's to say, hey, come back to me. Let's work on this together. He is pursuing you. And he's a God that takes action. In uh, 1 John 4.19, we read that we love because he first loved us. He loved us first. Don't think that, oh, man, I love God so much. It's like, man, I only love God because he loved me first. He pursued me. In Isaiah 30.18, we read, yet the Lord longs. He's eager. The Lord longs to be gracious to you. He wants to be gracious to you. He wants to be. Therefore, he will rise up and show you compassion. Rise up. He's taking action. He's moving forward toward you. He's rising up so that I can show you compassion. We have a God that's taking action to pursue you. He loves you so much that he, is, he has sent his son to, 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 to seek you out and bridge the gap. You may not have had a, a father that, that followed up on his word. When he said, I love you, maybe he didn't even say, I love you. Maybe, maybe he said, I'll be at the game, and he wasn't there. We serve a God that says, I love you, and I'm going to rise up and show you. Fathers, follow through on your word to your children. Rise up, pursue them, pursue their heart. Take that time with them. Number four, the father celebrates you. The Father celebrates you. If we go back to the scripture for just a moment, the, again, the reason why we, we read this uh, or when, uh, when Jesus is addressing the sinners and then the religious folks, he goes on to try to explain, to try to explain the value of these people. You religious folks, listen, do you understand what these people are worth to me? He says that there is, what man, a man among you has a hundred sheep and doesn't leave the 99 to go find that one because it's that valuable. In that time, sheep were a source of income. This was my livelihood. And they would go and pursue that one. He goes on to say, if a woman loses one of her 10 pieces of silver, will she not scour around for that one piece and then invite her friends or neighbors and say, celebrate with me. I found the one that was lost. And he's saying, you're still not getting it. It's not just a sheep. It's not just a coin. It's, it's like a son that died and that came back to life. He's trying to articulate, do you not see, religious people, the value of your brothers? This is your life. And so he, 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 he celebrates. He said that he, he gave him a robe. That, that's, a, that's a covering, a protection. That's honor. He put a ring on his finger and gave him authority as a son. He put sandals on his feet, said, you're not a servant, you're a son. You have value and he is celebrating, not your perfection, 
not your perfection, not how good you've behaved. This is a man that, 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 that didn't behave well. All he did was come humbly and say, I submit to you as a servant. He said, no, 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 you're more than that. You are my son. That's what he wants is not perfection. He wants submission and trust that we serve a God who wants your best and who's willing to give everything for you. That's why he gave his son Jesus. He's a God who took action and said, my son Jesus, I'm gonna send Jesus into the world to be tempted in every way that you've been tempted, compassionate toward and understanding toward all of our weaknesses, yet has not sinned. And so that son was died on the cross solely, solely for you and for me because we serve a compassionate God who is not here to condemn you, but here to empower you to live a life. Because what did he tell his son, his older son? Everything I have is yours. You don't earn it by perfect living. You have it through your DNA. Through your DNA. My son could act up as much as he wants, but guess what? He's going to have an inheritance. He can go in the fridge anytime and grab food. Man, everything I have is his. With my permission, of course. But, but everything I have is his. But our God wants to bestow great blessing on us, and he's willing to give you his everything because you are that valuable. And so we can walk to God confidently and boldly knowing that he'll meet you right where you're at. No matter where you've been, you are not too far from God. Thank you, Jesus, for this, this amazing word. God, I pray that we would walk away knowing how good you are and how magnificent you love us, God. God, I pray that you would empower us, God, to, to, to come to you boldly and confidently. And God, I pray that you would uh, help us, God, to realize how loved we are in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, please visit our website at www.canvaschurchsd.com.